You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning. Here we go. We get there in the end. Good morning, Promise Church. How y'all doing? Doing good? God is good all the time. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Who's excited? Come on. It's good to meet in the Lord's presence, huh? Wasn't that beautiful this morning, seeing people taking the, uh, the dunk of faith, getting under the water, being baptized? One of the most beautiful things we can do after accepting Jesus is to go into the, enter into the waters of baptism, huh? Okay, we're going to read in a moment, but I'm going to pray first. I'm going to read some scripture, and I'm going to uh, talk on a subject that the angels in heaven heralded this moment for me. They didn't really. Actually, Pastor Aaron said hey, why don't you talk about this scripture? And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. So I took it from him, and then the Lord gave me some stuff to say around it, and that's how we landed here. So he is quite angelic, so that's why I say the angels in heaven, because he is, he's an angel to me. So uh, thank you, Pastor Aaron. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Lord, we just commit this time to you. I ask you if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that has not met with you in a personal way, then we pray this morning that their lives will be changed. Lord, I thank you for the gospel that has the power to change lives. The way it changed our lives today, it is still changing lives. So I just ask you, Holy Spirit, open our hearts this morning to the the word of God and open our hearts to the power of your spirit. We need you. We commit this time to you. Jesus, our desire is to lift you up and see you exalted amongst men. We praise your name, we adore you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to read, guys, from Luke chapter 2, where we read about the birth of Jesus being very fitting at Christmas time. So Luke chapter 2, hopefully we're going to have it on the screen, and I've called this talk, Living Like Shepherds in the Trenches, is the, uh, the name of this talk, Living Like Shepherds in the Trenches, which will be explained in a moment. Okay, so we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 6 onwards. It says this. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow on screen. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. My favorite word in the English language, geo. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known known to us. And 
They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Is that it? No. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Okay, that's pretty cool, huh? Come on. Now, there is so much in this, in this passage of Scripture uh, that I want to read. Okay, there's another one here. I think we're actually done on that one. I think there's a little satellite delay link going on from here to the back. Uh, but uh, we are good. But praise the Lord. Thank you for all our team who work tirelessly and get up early to do what they do. So thank you, guys. Why don't we give them a round of applause? Huh? These guys never get much credit. Come on, let's give them some credit. Okay, so what I want to do, I want to look at what this means. And, and you know, me being an evangelist, obviously, I, I, the Lord begins to show me some things that pertain to having a heart for the gospel, heart for lost people. And I found some great nuggets in this, uh, in this scripture here for how we can uh, vocal, vocal, vocalize them, view them through the lens of, a, of an evangelist, the lens of a, a disciple wanting to rescue people. There's a lot that we can read into this. Okay, so this is the most profound thing for me. In this time, in this ancient uh, Jewish culture, you know, everyone had been waiting for the Messiah. People have been like, for, for a long, long time, you know, the, the prophecies, hundreds of prophecies, over 300 prophecies about the Messiah being birthed, about the Messiah coming, and then suddenly this moment happens. I mean, everyone, anyone who's anyone, wanted to be involved in this moment when, when the, uh, the Messiah was, was birthed. So the fact that God had been waiting so long to give Jesus to his people... You know, I mean, imagine the Lord himself. He's probably, you know, counting down the days thinking, man, they're going to get Jesus. Like, this is a big deal. All the angels in heaven have been waiting for this moment. One day, you know, a day closer, a day closer to the day when Jesus would come. The whole of Israel for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years have been waiting for this moment. And suddenly the moment comes. Now, when you want to spread good news and you want people to hear about it, because this is what happened. When Jesus came... That the Father wanted everybody to know, yeah? It's like, we're giving, I'm giving my son, I want the world to know. So if you want people to know, the best way of letting them know is to go through a, an outlet that's going to uh, um, magnify that, that news, yeah? So if I want to declare something to America, I'm not going to go through Woodland Times to tell them if there is such a thing. I'm going to go to the New York Times, the LA Times, you know what I mean? If I want to spread a word to the States, I'm going to put it out with the biggest outlet that, that there is, yeah? So what Jesus did, what the Lord did, what the Father did, he chose shepherds to be the outlet to, to the world. He chose those shepherds to be the people who would take this message and put it out there. Now, that's quite interesting. The Lord could have done it through, you know, we read earlier on, and um, we didn't read it here, but in, uh, in verse 2, it says there was a census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So the Roman governor he could have been a good guy to kind of get the news. The angels come to him. He's got a lot of, he's got a real platform to declare this news. He would have been a good dude. Or you've got uh, Herod, King Herod. I mean, everybody listens to him. So you give the news to Herod. Well, you guaranteed that's getting everywhere. That's going to travel like immediately throughout the whole of Israel. Yeah. So there's a lot of other sources that God could have used that maybe we would have used in our minds. Or let's go on the more holy level. So you've got the high priest in the temple. Let's give him the word. I mean, 
you know, this is a holy guy. This is a guy who's tuned into the Lord. Let's give it to him. But no, the Lord sees fit in his infinite wisdom to not do that. Now, if it was me choosing, this is who I'm choosing. I'm going for Simeon. In, uh, in, in chapter, in verse 25, we read about a man called Simeon. I won't go into it for time's sake, but Simeon was a guy, and this is a crazy story. Simeon was a really righteous man, a really holy man. And he was told by the Holy Spirit that you will not die until you see the Messiah. Like you ain't going to die until you see the Messiah. So his whole life, he's been waiting for Jesus to arrive. Because he's like, I'm, I'm not going to die until I see it, physically see Jesus with my own eyes. Now, that would have been a great guy to kind of, you know, to, to give the news to. I mean, I can't think of anyone better. He waited his whole life, lived his whole life just waiting for this one moment. And suddenly, he gets told, hey, Jesus is here. You know, that would have been a good person, but no, the Lord didn't choose him. And then we read about the prophet Anna in uh, verse 36. Anna was a prophet. She was married when she was younger. Her husband died after seven years. And she devoted her whole life to prayer, fasting, and worship in the temple. And she was 84 years of age. And she gave her whole life for, for the Lord. Like she never left the temple. She stayed there the whole time. She would have been a real likely candidate for me. I'm like, man, she committed her whole life fasting, praying, worshiping. But no, God doesn't go to her either. He goes to the shepherds. Why is this interesting? It's interesting because in ancient Israel, in God's community, the shepherds were classed as unclean people. They were people who uh, every day they were mixing with sheep who were smelly who were dirty, the sheep would get uh, cuts and they would get bloody and the shepherds would, would bandage them up and heal and, and mend them. They would get blood on them. They were mixing with manure. They were like dirty, kind of lower class type people, especially within the community of believers. Because you see, back then it's no different to now. And, what, and the way it is, is that we have a lot of people who kind of like to gather in ch- beautiful buildings like this and, and kind of look at each other and judge each other. Uh, I'm not saying you do that because, you know, we have a perfect church. Uh, but, you know, there's some people in churches outside of the promise who will look at people and, and think things and judge people about the way they look. Man, you're not as holy as me. You're not as clean as me. You know, I mean, I was in a church about six weeks ago and it breaks my heart even to share this, but it's a true story. I was in a church not too far from here. And I took one of our new believers along with me. And while I was there, I, I turned around and I saw uh, one of the leaders of this church talking to one of my new believers. And, uh, and then he came over to me. My, I was setting up my, my stuff and my guy came over to me and, and he told me what happened. He said that the, the, one of the leaders of this church had come up to him and said, all your tattoos and your piercings, it's like it's a little bit kind of awkward for us. Uh, would you be able to sort of cover them up a bit? And um, would it be possible to take your piercings out? So I heard this, and it's like a red rag to a bull. You know what I mean? I wasn't happy. So I dropped my stuff, and I go over to the guy, and I'm like, are you serious, man? What, he just told me what you just said. Are you serious right now? Did you? And I was like, I was struggling to not lose my temper in, in what I would call righteous anger. And I said, I said are, you, are you for serious? Did you really say that to my guy? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, we just, uh, it's not for me. I'm not saying it, but other people might think this, you know. So I'm thinking about other people. I'm like, what that is, is a religious heart. Because let me tell you this, Jesus didn't come for clean, polished people who have it all together, yeah? Man, what I want to do, come on, amen, praise God. So I kind of told this guy, uh, this guy, you know, I really told him how it was and gave it to him straight. Because for me, what he was doing, he was like having a pop at one of my kids, 
you know what I mean? I'm a spiritual father to this, this young man. So what he was doing, he was coming against my kid, and I got very angry in a righteous way, and I, I kind of told him I was that close to walking out of the church. Uh, I'm never darkening that door again, if I'm honest, because that offended me deeply. I then went into church, and I opened my Bible, and just randomly opened my Bible, and, and I came, my first thing my eyes fixed on was uh, the Lord was angry. And what Jesus was showing me was that this was called righteous anger, and this makes him angry. By the end of that service... My, my guy, my new believer, was at the front uh, praying. And this other fellow came up and he got down on his knees and he asked him if he would pray for him. And the guy was, was crying, the leader was crying as my new believer put his arms on him and prayed over him. Is that amazing? Come on, beautiful. But what happens is we get into this culture and we get into this mindset that says this is how God moves. This is where he moves. This is who he moves with. And we kind of box him all in and, and we do it and it has to be clean in this, in this box with a bow on top. But the Lord, he's not like that. He's like, the dirtier, the better. So when Jesus came, he picked the people that were the most ostracized, the pariahs of society, those that people would look at, he's less, unclean, less clean. I don't know if you guys have ever seen The, the Chosen, but the Christmas uh, series of the cho- uh, Christmas episode of The Chosen was about this particular passage. And, uh, and there's a, a real powerful scene when, when the, the guy's reading uh, the prophet Isaiah, the scroll, there's a guy reading there, and there's this like purple curtain which denotes like royalty, and, and the, the shepherd is there, he's just been kind of told to leave, and he goes and he sneaks in because he wants to hear the good news about the coming Messiah. And as he stands there, he's got a, a cut arm and his blood's dripping on the nice shiny floors. And the man, the holy man, he sees him across the room, the priest, and he comes over and he basically kicks him out. He says, you can't be in here. This is a holy place. And he kicks the shepherd out. And the shepherd goes and he wanders back. He's lame. This guy is kind of limping. And he goes back and the angels come. And this is the man that the angels come to, to tell the good news. And they just really depict beautifully what we read in scripture. Because this is the gospel. You see... I don't know about you, but I, I wasn't that perfect when I come to Jesus, and I'm still not right now. So maybe we need a little wake-up call, some of us guys, you know, because some of us maybe think we're a little cleaner than what we are. But I'm going to tell you, however clean you may be, maybe you're way cleaner than me, good on you. But if you are, I want to tell you this, you're only clean because of the blood of Jesus. Simple as. Your own works do not make you clean. We read in Isaiah that your good deeds are like filthy rags to God. You can't be clean except what he gave to make you clean. So we've got to acknowledge that. And that means this, that if we're now clean because of his blood, how can we look at anybody else who's filthy like we were and think anything less? Because, hey, they're just in the same position we were before he made us clean. So Jesus, so the Father sends the angels to these shepherds to these dirty, ostracized pariahs of society, and he gives the greatest news ever known to humanity. The greatest moment that had ever been declared to humanity. That Jesus is born. The Messiah is here. And everybody's lives are forever changed. Isn't that beautiful? And I've got a few reasons why the Lord did this. So the first one, the reason he did this for me, is because he wanted to set that precedent. To say, this is what Jesus is coming for. This is who Jesus is coming for. He's coming for the broken. He's coming for those that are a bit uh, outcast. The father was setting the tone and saying, 
This is how it's going to begin. Right from the introduction of my son's coming, I'm going to set the tone. It's going to look like this. He's going to come to the shepherds, to those who are kicked out of holy places. I'm going to declare it through them, and then I'm going to follow suit for that whole th- thread. And that's how it began. And um, what's, what's beautiful is this, is like with, when you think about shepherds, in that culture they were looked down upon. But Jesus was called the son of David, who was a shepherd. So the Bible doesn't hide it. The Bible like magnifies it and says, hey, guess what? I'm proud to come from David, who was a shepherd. You know, Jesus is like, I want everybody to know about this. It's crazy. We read the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus, of his lineage and where he came from. Do you know who was in his lineage? A prostitute. That's going to ruffle a few feathers. Rahab, yeah, she was a prostitute. Okay, She was classed as in the lineage of Jesus's family. You've got prostitutes, you've got shepherds, you've got people that, that, that a lot of people are going to look down upon. The Bible, you think if it was trying to do this holy thing where if that was a bad thing, you would hide it and you kind of leave that one out. But the Bible accentuates it and says this is where Jesus came from, the son of David who was a shepherd. So this is kind of what we're up against, you know, uh, which is, I think it's beautiful. I think it's just so, so the kingdom of God. So uh, another reason, he could trust them to open their mouths. He could trust them that if he tells them this news, they're going to declare it. You see, shepherds, you know, they like to talk. They're hanging out all the time. And also because what they are, the kind of people who, are, uh, you know, they mix with a lot of different kinds of people, yeah? They're not sort of a high and in this lofty kind of ivory tower that says, I'm only going to mix with a certain niche of people. They're like, hey, I'll talk to anybody. So God was like, I know that they'll get the job done. I know that they'll do it. They'll, they'll proclaim it. They won't, be, uh, they won't segregate people. They'll tell everybody. So that's another reason. Uh, and then I want to read the scripture here. So Matthew 10, 27 says this, which I think is quite cool. Matthew 10, 27. Jesus said this. <clears throat> do we have it here? What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when day, daylight comes. And what I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. So what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when, when daybreak comes. So what happened in the darkness? The shepherds at night and the word comes. So this is Jesus saying this, obviously many years after when he'd grown up. But even as a baby, what he was saying, what he was doing was prophesying to, to what he was going to say to the shepherds. I'm going to give you this message at nighttime. I'm going to come at nighttime and I'm going to give it to you and I want you to proclaim it in daylight. And that's what they did. We read that the shepherds left and they began to tell people what had happened. Do you know what the gospel means? The Greek word for gospel and good news is euangelion. And this is, where, this is what it's denoted from. It derives from the good news that a runner would bring um, as a messenger. He would come into the, the capital town and he would herald the good news saying, we have just won the war. There's been victory on the battlefield. And what would happen is everybody would cheer knowing that the war had been won. This is where the original word, the noun, uh, euangelion, comes from, from the Greek word for the gospel, for good news. So you've got a runner, he comes as a messenger, comes into the capital city, tells everybody, hey, guess what? The battle is over, we've won the war. And people would cheer and their lives would be transformed knowing that they're no longer slaves, but now they are, uh, they are the victorious ones. This is exactly what the gospel means. You see, the gospel is saying, guess what? The war's over. The war on sin has been won because Jesus came... Amen. Come on. Praise God. Jesus came as a baby in a manger, not in a hotel, not in a beautiful palace, but he came for the people that he wanted to reach. You see, 
In Jesus' eyes, we're all as dirty as one another. But through his love and through his blood, we are made clean. So isn't it beautiful how Jesus comes and he says, hey, I'm going to give you my good news, you dirty shepherds, and you're going to go and you're going to proclaim it to everyone around. Imagine what it did to those religious people. Imagine how many feathers got ruffled. You know, when, when the guys, again, another great scene in, in The Chosen, in that, in that episode where the guy who was kicked out of the temple, he comes and he sees the guy, one of the, the main high priests, and he's like, what are you doing here? And the guy's there with a big smile on his face, knowing that he's just seen the Messiah. You see, for us, we have seen the Messiah. We've had our moment with Jesus. But there are so many more people out there who are living like we used to live. And all you've got to do is tell them this great news. There's a great quote by Reinhard Bonnke. You see, many of us as, as believers, we don't feel that we're qualified. We don't feel we're schooled, we're trained to do the work of an evangelist. What is an evangelist? Someone who tells, like I've just read. Someone who declares the good news. We don't feel we're qualified to, to declare this good news. And, and Bonke says this great quote, this evangelist, Rana Bonke says, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So what he's done is he's called the whole church to go and declare. And he says, hey, don't worry, I'm going to give you what you need to get the job done. You see, they didn't have the great commission. The, the shepherds didn't have the great commission like we have. We have a command of go make disciples, go and declare. They didn't have that. But what they did have was good news. They had good enough news to go and tell people. They weren't forced to go and tell people. They, were, they didn't say, this is a command, go and, go and tell them. But they were so excited by what they'd heard that they literally could not shut their mouths. They had to go and they had to declare it. Okay, my other reason is this. A shepherd's heart will draw the attention of heaven and the Lord's presence will be released through it. When you have a shepherd's heart and when you love other people as a shepherd, what that does, it just draws the attention of heaven and something shifts. If we look in scripture, in, um, in, in Exodus 3, Exodus 3 verse 2, we read this uh, story of how Moses was looking after Jethro, his father-in-law's sheep. He was out with the sheep and something happened in the moment when he's out with the sheep. You know what happened? The burning bush happened. He saw God, he heard the voice of God in a burning bush and the Lord began to speak to him and tell him to go and set the, the Israelites free. And Moses was like, man, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I haven't got the skills. And then uh, the Lord told him, take your staff and your staff will be, basically I'm going to do miracles through your staff and that will be your sign to the people that you are my guy. You see what he was doing, he was taking the staff and saying, I'm going to be the shepherd of Israel. Because the Lord not only uh, likes to refer to shepherds, but he, he likes to use them as examples. Jesus himself was called the good shepherd in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. But if we look at this culture in ancient Israel where shepherds are ostracized, this is a strange language to use. But the Bible talks about it all the time. So we've got Moses out with the sheep. He wasn't praying in the temple. He wasn't uh, f fasting and having a holy time in his, in his quiet time in his room. He was out with the sheep. But it was in that place that the Lord decided to speak to him and say, I'm going to give you your marching orders for the rest of your life. I'm going to give you your destiny. In this moment, your destiny will be to lead my people. Another one, David. Young David was a shepherd boy. And his, uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel came and he said, I'm going to anoint the next king. So he went to anoint the next king. And what happened? He lined, lined, uh, he lined up all of uh, uh, Jesse's sons. He said, show me all your sons. So he, he lined them all up and the Lord said, none of those guys. 
So Samuel, the prophet Samuel said, there must be, another. have you got any more kids? And, and his dad was like, well, I've got another one, but I mean, he's the shepherd. Again, just referring to how shepherds were looked upon in that culture. I've got a shepherd's son. I mean, he's out there. You probably won't want him. And Samuel says, no, go and get him. And he brings David. And the Lord says, that's my guy. A shepherd. You see, he was out with the sheep. And he was called to be the next king. Because why? Because he was giving his life for others. And I believe this. That if you want to be promoted in the kingdom of God, you've got to pour your life out to others. This is the moment where God will pour his favor upon you when you pour your favor upon others. That's how it works, simple as. When, when Jesus at the door was birthed for me, I worked on the streets of Northern Ireland for three years as an evangelist. And I began to pour into lost people. We brought them into our home. We loved them. We kind of uh, showed them what it looks like to, to, to love your kids, to love your wife. What does it look like to live a Christian life? How do we model this lifestyle to these baby believers? And we, we kind of, it cost us in every way that you can imagine. Financially, physically, emotionally, psychologically, you know, it was a high cost. But I put my life on the, on the shelf for three years to love these people. And it was during that time that the Lord said, okay, I'm going to give you something. You can, you can, because the Bible says, if you water, you will be watered. If you give, you, it will be given. As we pour into others, he pours into us. You're never going to go without. And this is where the Lord gave me my marching orders for what I was to do. It's where he gave me my destiny and said, this is what I want you to do and go and do it. It was in the moment where I was out with the sheep, where I was on the streets, where I was loving lost people. This is where God gave me what he wanted to give me. This is the key that many of us miss in life. Verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks. A lot of the time when we have these high moments, these mountaintop moments with the Lord, it's hard to go back to normal life. It's hard to kind of get back into the routine of what you were doing. You ever been to a conference? You have a profound moment with the Lord or a church service and you're like, man, this thing just rocked my world. And then you've got to like go to work Monday morning and kind of get back into it. And you're like, I don't know if I want to talk about Jesus as much here. I mean, at the conference, I would have shouted it from the rooftops, but now I'm back in work. I don't really feel it. It takes a lot of humility and a lot of character to be able to go back to where the Lord spoke to you. You see, when you look at David, when he was there, he was anointed king as a young boy. But it took 15 years before he became king. So he has this profound moment where Samuel the prophet, the revered prophet, says, you're my boy. The Lord said, you are the next king. David, go, imagine going back to your sheep after that moment. Like all his brothers have just witnessed it. His father's just witnessed this calling of this young 15-year-old boy, wherever he was. This, this grand moment has happened. And then it's like, okay, well, Samuel's out of here. Uh, David, I guess you've got to go back to your sheep now, yeah? Like, I mean, that's going to take a lot of character. You'd be like, well, hang on, I'm the next king. What do you mean go back to the sheep? Can't you send some of these other brothers to do it? You know, I'm a different guy. You've just heard what the Lord's just uh, elevated me to this position. And then what happened before David got to be king? He was on the run from Saul. He was being chased for his life. He was living out in caves. You know, he went through all these things before he became king. And then you've got Joseph. Joseph was, had a dream from the Lord that said, you, all your brothers will bow before you. Everyone will bow before you. But in order for him to have that, he was accused of rape. He was put in prison falsely. He, was, like he went through all these things for 14 years after that word until he became Pharaoh's second right-hand man, second in command over the whole of Egypt. 14 years from the word to actually happening. 
That's a lot of character that you'd have to portray in order to not get puffed up, to not get elevated, but to say, hey, God's spoken to me and I'm going to deliver this. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us as, as a people. I believe as shepherds, we can hear something from the Lord that we can never hear where we stay in our buildings. It is when we get outside of this building and outside of our workplaces and outside of our, our, our family life, when we carve out time to love the sheep, when we carve out time to be a shepherd to lost souls, it is then when you capture the heart of God. I remember I worked in a dementia ward uh, a number of years ago in Ireland before I became an evangelist. I didn't really have any qualifications. I couldn't get any good jobs. So um, the only job I could get was to be a carer. So they gave me this job and I was working uh, in a dementia ward. I would like feed people, uh, you know, after like shower them when they like soil themselves. It wasn't very glamorous, you know, kind of a bit like a shepherd. Uh, but I was out there and just working this job, long hours, long backbreaking hours, just caring for people. And I remember one day there's this guy called Dennis who had dementia very bad. And I took him up one day in a room full of all these people sat in a room and just sit there watching telly all day and I tried to entertain them and make it a bit more fun and I took him by the hands and I started dancing with him with this guy Dennis and I was dancing and he smiled this biggest smile I'd ever seen as he began to just come to life as we were dancing in the, in the living room as all the other people there and some of the staff were thinking what's that crazy guy doing but I was up there and I'm just loving this guy dancing with him I remember in that moment feeling such a strong presence of God just came out of nowhere this presence of the Lord just hit me. Because you see, moments like that, God smiles upon. We're looking for like these kind of moments. We're like, no, if I can get up there for God, give me the microphone and I'll preach a sermon, you know, then it'll, uh, God will be pleased with me. I want to tell you this. If you love your neighbor, God's pleased with you. If you look for an opportunity to find someone who's maybe not loved and you put your arms around them and love them, that pleases the heart of the Lord. And guess what? We can all do that. That's the good news. Everybody has the power to do that. So do you feel loved today? Do you feel loved by Jesus? Because you're here for a reason. There are people here, and I'm sure there are people in this room who don't feel the love of Jesus. You think, hey man, I don't know where my life's going. I don't know, you know what's, what's ahead for me in the future. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't really had a good start so far in life, but I mean, I would like to know that God loves me. Well, I want to tell you this. He loves you. He loves you so much. I want to show you my favorite verse here. Well, actually, both of them. But Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the one at the bottom here. says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And then the other one is quite impressive too. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're a sinner right here, you're in the best place you can be. Because he came to call you home. And guess what? He came to seek and save that which was lost. If you're lost, he's waiting to find you. If you're lost, his arms are open, ready to find you. When this, this picture was given to me by a guy who used to work with, he wasn't a believer, but it was lying around in an old like dumpster in Belfast where I worked. And he, he found it and he gave it to me. He wasn't even a believer, this guy, but he was my boss. I worked in Belfast in the second largest men's hostel, homeless shelter. Second largest in Belfast, 60 beds, 60 men. It was a roughest, the roughest place in the whole of that city. It was crazy. 
It was run by like paramilitaries, like the IRA kind of stuff. These guys would like basically police it and they would tell you who could come in and who couldn't. And it was kind of quite crazy place there that have people in there that told the head guys who lived around the corners who was coming in, who wasn't coming in. If there was any trouble, they would come in and they would threaten to kill the people and then they would like, the guys would run. It was kind of crazy. But while I was there, I decided that I would love my neighbors. So I came to my boss and I said, the guy who gave me that picture before he gave me it, I came to my boss and I said, hey, can I hire this whole, like, this whole building? Can I hire it out? What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell all these local people about Jesus. I'm going to bring some music here. We're going to have some worship. I'm going to tell, the, the, tell them the gospel, some testimonies. Can I do it? And he's like, you're absolutely crazy. He's like, these people ain't going to come. They're not interested. You know, this place is, do you know how bad this place is? It's crazy. I'm like, I don't care about all that. Will you let me have the, the place? He says, hey, you can have it if you want it. So he gave, me this, he gave me the whole of this building and I went out and I didn't know what I was doing and I made up these little flyers and I went on my lunch break and I went knocking doors on my lunch break in this really rough neighborhood and I just knock on doors and say, hey, I'm doing this, this night in this, in, in this place here. You want to come? You get to hear about Jesus and I went around knocking doors. I'd only got about 10 doors in and a lady come up to me. She saw me walking. She says, what are you doing? I'm saying, I'm going to do this thing where I tell people about Jesus. She says, you need to meet Sharon. And I'm like, who's Sharon? She's like, oh, Sharon, she's like, she's a lady. She's like really influential in this community. But she became a Christian uh, a little while ago. So you need to meet her. So she puts me in touch with Sharon. And, we, and uh, I text her and I hear nothing back. On the Monday morning, I'm praying and fasting for this event. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he says, Sharon's going to call you. Right that moment, I get a message from Sharon. She became the bridge to this community. She ensured that that place was filled. The whole place was filled and I saw the building with people looking in the windows. It was so packed and that is exactly what happened. There was like nine people accepted Christ in this crazy community. I began a Bible study in the boss's office illegally. After this happened, a guy who was a local boxer who punched, beat some guy up and kicked him down the stairs of this hostel. I led him to the Lord. He was part of my Bible study. This is what happened. This is before I became an evangelist, officially. This was the breaking moment for me when my pastor heard about this and God had already been speaking to him. This is the moment where he's like, okay, man, we've got to get this guy in. Because I didn't, go, I didn't do it to look for some position. But I did it because my heart was breaking for those that didn't know him. But it is with that same boss, after that, that he gave me that sign. And it was almost like the Lord was saying, hey, this is how I see your heart. And this is my heart, that I want you to seek and save that which was lost, that I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinners. So I want to pray for you guys. If you're here, if there's anybody here and you don't know Jesus, I've got some good news. Now is your moment. I want to just read you something right now. The Coast Guard reports that 95% of all search and rescue missions occur less than 20 miles from the shoreline. All those that are drowning, all those that are suffering and longing to be saved, 95% of those drowning people, it happens 20 miles from the shoreline. What does that mean? It means that people that are drowning all around you, you don't have to go to Africa to, to meet them. Just drive 20 minutes. Drive two minutes. Because all around you there are people, and even some in this room, who are longing to be saved, are longing to be rescued but they're crying out for someone to reach out their hand and say, come, let me bring you in to safety.
I want to read something to you. I forgot about this, but let me read it to you. This is the the best way I can explain the love of Jesus. I would like to uh, read it by memory, but I don't know it enough yet. Tim's the only person that's heard this. This is a a spoken word that I wrote. It's about uh, about the gospel, but I want to read it to you. I don't know it enough, so I'm going to have to read it off here, but bear with me, but it's powerful. After this, after I've read this, I want to ask you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, really know him, as in you close your eyes on earth tonight, you don't know you open them in heaven, I want to give you a chance to stand to your feet in response to this good news. So while I'm, re- while I'm reading this, just think about it, okay? Think about his love that is here to rescue you. Think about that baby Jesus who grew up to be Jesus who died on a cross for your sins. And he's paid for all of your sins. And he's here right now. <clears throat> So Holy Spirit, I just ask you, Lord, right now that you touch people's hearts and that you would open their hearts. And Holy Spirit, would you shine a light in every single heart right now? If there's, a, if there's a life in this room that is not abandoned to your grace, I pray right now you'd shake them and you'd stir them and that this would be their moment in Jesus' name. I felt the rain fall from heaven in diamond-shaped drops and a voice said, don't ever forget what it cost. See these holes in my hands that are bore on the cross. Nine inch nails they thrust as they spat and they cussed till I was down on the ground like a clown in the dust. What seemed like a loss was the greatest of victories. As the power of love went toe to toe with the adversary, their saint was slain upon the rock of eternity. I took the sting out of death and rose again for the world to see. The veil was torn. I made a way you could get to me. They jeered at me like I was their number one enemy. When my only crime, loving the world unconditionally, real love it ain't service level sentimentality. No Hollywood, Bollywood, plastic superficiality. But it bleeds and it screams, it cries and pleads, come on back to me. It's raw and it's pure. It won't give in but endures, imploring, give me the worst of you and I'll give you the best of me. I'm not counting your sins. I count the days till you're back to me. And not real poetry, the kind you'd want to read. A revelation, a rhapsody, love letter pen to humanity, written in raw blood by the hand of his majesty. I'm the renovator, rejuvenator, original creator, taking riches and rejects and putting them all back together. The composer of symphonies, the weaver of tapestries, turning stars into galaxies. I'll take your mess and mistakes and turn them into a masterpiece. The visible image of the invisible deity. I'm the remedy, the recipe, the rhyme, and the reason is me. I'm the needle of truth amidst the haystack of lies, the dream weaver of life. I speak a word and there's light. So light up, light up, now it's your time to shine. Leave the cage of your prison cell and your torturous mind and all that darkness behind. Open your eyes and see my arms for they're still open wide. When I came back to life, I didn't die again. I'm still alive. I didn't come for the nice self-righteous types who deny the poor and needy. They're greedy, yet they tip me with their tides. They offer half-empty prayers from hardened hearts laced in pride. So if you're broken and frozen, I'm at the door where you open. Raise your hand to the seed and though this is more than a feeling. I'll reel you in if you're reeling. Now's your time for receiving. I did it all, do you believe it? Then stand up now and I'll seal it. If you want Jesus and you don't know him, stand to your feet and receive him right now. In Jesus' name. Stand and receive his love. If you don't know him and you want to know him, I encourage you, stand, stand, stand in Jesus' name. Stand and say, Lord, here's my life. I want to know you. I want to know. I don't just want to play around at this thing. I don't just want to believe, but I want to know. Jesus never said to his disciples, come and believe in me. He said, come follow me. 
So if you're ready to follow him, if you're ready to leave your road without Jesus, change direction and follow, then stand to your feet right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I just pray if there's anybody in this room, I pray against that wrestle in their hearts right now. Lord, I pray you'd stir and shake them and bring them to their feet. We know that Satan wants to resist what you want to do in their lives. But I encourage you, if you want Jesus, be bold. Be bold and stand. Stand for his love. It's a gift and he wants to give it to you. Stand and receive it right now in Jesus' name. Can you, can you close your eyes tonight on earth, knowing if you die and open them, that you'll, be, you'll stand face to face with him and know that it all is well with your soul? Do you know 100%? Because if you don't, you probably haven't got that gift of salvation. You haven't got that gift of eternal life. So I encourage you, if you're here and you want him, he wants you. And his arms are open wide. So stand in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we love you. We praise you. Lord, rest upon every heart in this place. Stir and shake your church, Lord, in these days, I pray. Move upon us. Awaken us to this great message of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that we have the good news. May we be inspired to go and to take it so that people's lives will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.